welcome into the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This podcast is an extension of Renaissance. We're a family of microchurches around the greater Boston area. We dream together of God using every kind of person to create communities of unconditional belonging who enjoy the freedom found in the life Christ offers us. Every episode, we'll explore themes related to starting and sustaining those types of communities and what it means to be the church in our unique cultural moment. To find out more about us, head to wearerenaissance.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This is Drew. I'm one of the team members at Renaissance. And if you've been tracking with this season of the podcast, season four, it has mostly been our team that has been talking about some of the realities of shared life in microchurch community and what does it look like to actually live as a spiritual family, um, living out the way of Jesus together and pushing past some of the relational facades that we often uh, have experienced in maybe other forms of church or paradigm to experience intimacy and hopefully steps in growth and transformation. Um, But I'm excited on this episode that we've decided to tap someone's shoulder beyond our community to talk about something that we're still kind of very much learning and figuring out, which is the idea of shared leadership. And so we uh, we're lucky enough to get Lucas Pulley from Tampa Underground, um, who is with us on this episode. Many of you who are listening to this probably know Tampa really well because we've referenced them. We've drawn inspiration from them. Some have seen the Tampa documentary or joined the Microchurch Conference when we we streamed that in a couple of years ago. And so different different connecting points there. But Lucas, thank you so much for for being on this episode and bestowing some wisdom uh, on us. Excited to be here, and we'll see if any wisdom is bestowed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it will be. So, uh, well, we uh, I'm actually really excited because Lucas and I, right before we hit the record button, found out that uh, we both lived in the same kind of neck of the woods and know what it's like to, to tassel corn, which That's is right. crazy. Very Just, rare to meet another yes. person. <laughs> yeah. It's a niche, niche conversation for sure. Uh, but for those of you who maybe, uh, for those of who aren't as familiar with you, could you maybe just introduce yourself a little bit more and just give us a little bit of context of who you are? Yeah. Um, Lucas Poli. I'm, I'm married to my wife, Jamie. Uh, we've been married 12, going on 13 years, have uh, three kids, two boys, nine and six, Landon and Jackson, and then a little girl that's one named Raylan. Um, I was I was born and raised and grew up in rural central Illinois and uh, started following Jesus the month before I went to college at Southern Illinois University. And um, in the university world, I got connected to a campus ministry um, called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And it was in that it was in that campus ministry that <clears throat> I had an older guy in the faith that was like actually intentionally discipling me from very early on in my faith. And was trained in the campus world to like share my faith and make disciples and plant little witnessing communities in the dorms and think incarnationally and contextually. And um, and so, you know, the the sort of leadership team of that of that campus ministry, we started doing city ministry outside of the campus when we were seniors. 
Um, and we sort of accidentally planted a network of microchurches. This was back in 2009. Um, and uh, we felt like we really loved doing life together and this sort of chaotic mess of decentralized ministry. So we decided to stay in that town after we graduated and just get whatever jobs we could, but we felt called to each other. Um, and so we had this little network of, we didn't call it network of microchurches. We, we were really raw. We didn't know what to call it. And so, um, I felt like we were making some preventable mistakes around 2010, 2011. I just felt like we needed leadership and that's how we found Tampa underground. We, I was just looking for help. And, uh, so we got connected to Tampa, uh, the underground movement there that was a few years ahead of us at the time. And we became over, a, over the course of a couple of years, we became a sister movement in the in the underground network and so um that started our relationship way back in 2010 2011 and yeah it was around 2016 like five years later that uh the tampa movement asked my wife and i if we would consider moving down to tampa to help provide some leadership in a transition um and so our community in illinois sort of prayed and discerned with us and felt like this is what the Lord is doing. And we want to lay hands on you and send you down and trust the Lord. And, and so we moved down in 2016 and we led the Tampa movement until 2020 and we're still here in Tampa. Um, but then, you know, and starting in 2020 is when I, I, uh, stepped into the executive director role of underground movement. So half my brain is spent thinking locally. I still lead a, a house church in the inner city. Um, we live in the, in the highest saturation of government subsidized housing in Tampa Bay. It's called Belmont Heights Estates. Uh, so we've lived here for seven years. Um, we have a little neighborhood house church and uh, and are trying to be practitioners, but then also I still can uh, uh, contribute to the local movement at a pretty high level. And then I still, and then I, I got to spend a portion of my brain thinking outside of Tampa, strategic partnerships and national stuff. So, yeah. No, that's awesome. You're a Saluki. I don't think I realized that. So yes, I was a Saluki. That's, that's right. That's where it all started. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> that's yeah. where it all started. <laughs> yeah. Man, I can talk about detasseling with you and Salukis with you. Yeah, We're I checking know. all the, nobody knows any of the answers to these things. <laughs> yeah, all the references. So I, I'd be fascinated. You're, you kind of told a lot of the story, but maybe just backing up a little bit, as you were like, stepping into this and didn't even have language for describe like a lot of people have a lot of like church and ecclesial history. Yeah. You seem to just stumble pretty quickly into something pretty remarkable, but just, I'd be fascinated for you to just yeah. describe um, what drew you into that and maybe some yeah. of the lessons you've learned um, along the way, living out what you didn't even know was micro church. And then, right. Yeah, I think um, growing up, I was like my my parents were my parents were believers. Um, at the time, you know, they were they they were, I don't know, a little bit nominal, but they're like amazing people now, and and have been for most of my adult life. Um, sold out, committed followers of Jesus. But yeah, when I was I I was sort of like around the church, but not very committed or invested when I was a kid. So I all that to say, I didn't have a lot of the ecclesial formation. I didn't have like a lot of things to disentangle from, you you know, or like I didn't have a paradigm. I wasn't around the church enough to have like a paradigm of the prevailing model or legacy or traditional model of the church. So when I started really following Jesus and we were in college um, and we were just sort of like starting these little discovery Bible studies in like 
on on the eighth floor of the dorm or in apartment complexes. Um, and like looking at the life of Jesus and also studying the book of Acts, it just sort of felt like our lives were felt a little bit congruent with the book of Acts. Like we were trying to be bold and we were trying to like, like look for what God was doing around us and ex lived with expectation that he was at work and trying to join in with what he was doing and saw ourselves as priests and the priesthood of all believers and sent people. And, um, but then, you know, InterVarsity was a parachurch, so they said, you got to find something to do on Sunday mornings. You know, this isn't your church. So then we, we were also all going to these Sunday morning things, and for most of the people that were in the fellowship, that was very normal. But for me, I would go to the Sunday morning thing, and I'd be like, what is this? What are we doing? Because <laughs> I didn't have all the yeah. background stuff. So it made total sense to them. And, but for me, I was like, these this what we're doing during the week on campus makes sense to me. It has integrity to me. Like when I'm, when I'm like looking in the scriptures, mm. this thing on Sunday morning, someone helped me understand it. Like somebody helped me understand why, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? It like needed more interpretation for me. And, um, you know, there was a, there was at the time, there was a way to do that. That was like really immature and re reactive and prophetic and stuff. Um, which I think I've outgrown a lot of, but, but yeah, it just sort of like made me feel like, um, a lot of what we were doing on campus during the week. And then what we started doing in the city, you know, our junior and senior year, which was like, um, we started doing a street, a street church dinner on the strip with all the poor and the homeless. And then, um, we sort of became family with the poorest in our city. And so then we were doing Wednesday night prison ministry across the plexiglass because a lot of our family had been picked up on trespassing tickets because they don't have anywhere to sleep. And then we mm -hmm. were doing like weekly, everyday dinners we started like an everyday dinner soup kitchen and it, that incorporated like a dbs devotional kind of thing and then we were doing street church and then we were doing single moms ministry and then it like all that stuff just felt so like this it, this feels like communities interdependent mutual kinship communities surrender to jesus trying to live surrender to him and trying to extend his reign in the world how is this not church this feels very mm. churchy to me you know yeah. and so that felt so life-giving and it always felt like the sunday morning thing was it was i you know um not it's not that it didn't have value but it, it just f took more for me to for me to make sense of it um and uh so so then we like when we graduated college and we were like, let's just keep doing this together. That's what sort of forced us to make that pivot from para church to church. Like this, this stuff that we're doing, we're just doubling down on this as like church, which means we have to treat it with a lot more respect and uh, and and we have to get some theological foundations here to understand what it is and to use the right language and see it rightly and. And are are we heretics? I guess that's a possibility. Let's. I <laughs> yeah. sure hope we're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when we bought houses. You know, we we graduated college. That's when we started buying houses and tr trying to pick particular neighborhoods that we felt like God was leading us into, and start doing house church stuff and asset based community development and mm -hmm. neighborhood incarnation yeah. and trying to see the city as an ecosystem and trying to meet networked problems with a networked solution. You know. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then, and then, you know, you, we sort of have these like 15 micro churches with all these sort of empowered leaders. And like three years later, that's when we started the conversation of like, 
should we have a Sunday morning service or something? Like, should there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like not, it's like came way later, mm-hmm. you know? And should we have a building for any reason? Like that's, we've never, just never assumed that we should have that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, would that be helpful? And, you know, so then we started like building some of that stuff out, like a Sunday morning gathering of the micro churches and a, so it's like we started building in some of those things that you would see as traditional elements, but they they had a different place in the ecosystem. You know, they were like convening of the city church for empowerment and equipping and encouragement, you know, for the life of the church Monday through Saturday. Um, so and a lot of that, I mean, a lot of that was us sort of like walking in intuition, like we were just reading the word and trying to contextualize and like be the church in our time and place. But man, it sure helped to connect with Tampa underground and be like, Oh, okay. Like, (laughs) like they were three or four years further Mm -hmm. down the road. And it was like, Oh, they have language to describe this. It's like very Christological. It's very like, it's deeply orthodox. It's deeply committed to the scriptures. It bears fruit. It, it, they they've been able to walk through some of the barriers and hurdles that we're seeing and experiencing that stuff isn't crippling. So, so that was super helpful to find just some peers around the world that are like doing the same thing and learning from it and being able to pull from that. So. Yeah. No, no, that's awesome. And I think, yeah, a lot of the uh, motivations you're describing and I think some of the language you're using is going to, going to resonate. Cause I think that's some of the same, motivating factors from almost all of our leaders, you know, and very similarly, like looking like, Hey, I've been, I had this dream. I just needed someone to help give language to it or help totally. help walk me, walk me through it. So that's cool. Well, you mentioned Tampa. Um, I, again, you don't have to give like a, a long uh, synopsis, but could, for those again, who aren't maybe as familiar, what is, what is Tampa underground? Like what, what is going on uh, yeah. as a network? in your your area so you know state of the network right now like it you know if 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 most of your people have sort of heard a little bit about it and some of the origin story like today we're a a network of a little over 160 microchurches um those are expressions of worship community and mission you know that that expressions of ecclesia that are like popping up around the city there's a little over 160 expressions of microchurch across uh, five what we call area collectives. So those are geographic areas um, that that span, you know, the central Tampa and about an hour in every direction. So all the way over to Orlando, down to Bradenton, Sarasota, up to Ocala, um, and then all the way over to the coast. And so we, the underground has sort of in some ways become a network of networks of microchurches because those geogra- those area collectives are sort of their own areas and they, they have their own um, area servants, area directors that sort of are, are providing coaching and training and whatever that area of microchurches need. Um, and so, yeah, they, that, that's the decentralized grassroots network of churches, church made up of churches. And that thing that we call underground is not actually incorporated with the government in any way as an entity it's a non-entity it's just a relational coalition of people who have agreed to a a similar um, set of values and character and conduct agreements of who we will be and how we will be and that's where and 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 they've agreed to a certain level of governance and submission that's disentangled from an entity 
but then also the underground is a nonprofit platform of services. That's what I work for. You know, I'm the executive director of a nonprofit um, incubator whose every dollar and every contract and every staff and every square foot is held responsible to our IRS mandated exempt purpose to serve the decentralized network of microchurches. We have no right to control or power over them, or we are cert- we are a- an incubator that is a servant influencer of whatever that decentralized network of churches needs. And so I happen to be a house church leader uh, in my neighborhood and a practitioner, but I, that's not part of my job. And I happen to be an ordained elder in the movement along with 60 others, and I happen to be a sitting governing elder um, for now, but none of that's part of my job. That's all like part of the life of the church. My job is to, you know, uh, oversee 10 staff to execute core services that the citywide church needs and can use. So that's like maybe it's like quick snapshot of where. No, I think that's great. And again, I think a lot of our folks, there's a lot of parallels. So they'll, there'll be a lot that they'll resonate with. And I think that helps um, just as you're talking later on, helps them understand a little bit more of how you're answering and why you're answering it um, the way you are. And it's actually, I want to, last question, we're going to take a break and then we're going to dive into a lot more of this whole idea of shared um, life in microchurch with shared leadership and polycentric ideas. But uh, to that point, I mean, you're talking about being a practitioner and a lot of what we're going to be talking about is yes, you know, there's obviously things you're probably hearing across your network, but I would be fascinated just even as someone who's been walking this journey as long as you have, um, just describe being a practitioner, describe your micro church and what it's like to be like, not Lucas, the executive director, but just Lucas, like in a micro church, um, doing life, doing life with other believers. Yeah. So we, um, we have a uh, we we live in a neighborhood called Belmont Heights. It's it's again it's um, it is a government subsidized housing village. It's a city built in built inside the city. Um, it's got three community centers built into it: an elementary school, middle school, police precinct, business district. Um, but it's all government subsidized, and there's one little block in the middle of it that is single that's not part of the village that's single family residences and obviously all those houses are like they're not selling for anything you know there's they they have no value to them nobody wants to live here uh so we bought one (laughs) and um uh and then and then i i i reached out to all the the homeowners that are rentals on my block and just told and asked all the homeowners what if you let me uh, manage your house as a rental instead of letting a rental company do it. So I manage three rentals on our within a block, and then we fill those with underground people. And so uh, there's an underground family that lives two doors down, and then um, we have a, we built a tiny house in our backyard that functions as a guest house or emergency thirty day stay housing uh, for neighbors. And then there's a house around the corner that um, a handful of friends. Uh, for many years until recently, we're doing co-living. Intentional community living is like three couples and then two singles were living in that house together. So that made up so sort of like the core of like our team, like our planting our little village, and then and then and then we're trying to like reach out to um, basically build incarnational community among our neighbors. Um, so it started out as a what in our language a mission specific 
um, house church. So it was a house church for a specific neighborhood. Um, and we did that for three or four years. It was great. We'd like move around who was hosting house church. We do discovery Bible study one night a week. And then we do like, we do like disciple core dinner once a week. And then we do sort of guys night and the ladies would hang. You have a rhythm of life, which we can talk about later, a rule of life, um, mm -hmm. that carry, carries the church through the week. Um, and over the last few years, we shifted from being a mission-specific house church to a distributive house church because there were a lot of people that even though they live in our neighborhood, they don't actually feel called to the neighborhood. They feel called to a different people group that they're trying to be the church among. But they didn't feel like they wanted to separate from us relationally. They still sort of needed the support and incubation of our little house church community to be faithful to that thing. So so now um, my wife and I, we still sort of help lead it and host it, but um, and and we feel called to the neighborhood. I run a I run a handyman repair service for the neighborhood um, as a way to build relationships with my neighbors. And so, um, you know, it's a night and weekends thing. Like I I help repair broken pipes or build out electrical or or um, fix things. You know, and most of my neighbors have learned that if if you just sit and talk with me while I do the job, I don't end up charging you. So now it's like a little <laughs> neighborhood secret to have me going over. Um, <laughs> Cause I don't charge for friendship and they've started to realize that. And then my wife does, um, she helps sort of design like na uh, neighborhood homeschool co-ops or she does like ministry of presence. It's uh, we're the only white family in like a three or four block radius. So she does a lot of front porch stuff with neighbors and um, cause everybody's out all the time. But in our house church, there's a couple that feels called to their CrossFit gym and they've started a discovery Bible study on Thursday nights in their CrossFit gym. And, and um, they call it faith and fitness. Uh, and then there's a couple that does campus ministry at the university of South Florida with college students. And there's a couple that does board gamer ministry. If you can believe that's a thing, they, they host, <laughs> they host board game nights to, uh, every other Friday, uh, for, uh, the uh, niche group of people that love, uh, deep and unheard of board games. Um, <laughs> and then there's, there's a few people that do workplace ministry in the downtown towers in in Tampa. And so everybody in our house church has a people to, for to whom they feel sent, and they're and nobody's going alone. Um, and we function as a like a peer to peer missionary coaching uh, community. And some of those things that they feel called to are going to pop off as microchurches at some point. Um, and and it's at some point it might not make sense for them to be a part of our community. Um, and maybe they don't. And but uh, so that's that's the shape of it right now. You know, we we sort of convene a distributive house church, help people be faithful to their calling, and uh, and we remain faithful to ours in our neighborhood in unique ways. No, that's awesome. Well, again, I think um, I know that's a lot of questions about you, but hopefully, again, just knowing our community, helping folks understand who you really are as you're answering it, that it's not theory. That's a big deal. And it's awesome. Yeah. Just, uh, I can, I can almost picture your neighborhood and so cool that you get to live that out all the time. When we come back, we're going to take a quick break. Um, but when we come back, we're going to start to ask a little bit more, some questions in the weeds about what does it look like in some of the dynamics there and what does it look like to uh, maybe step away from some of the leadership models that we've seen, um, in other forms of church right after the break. Well, we're back. And yes, just reminding everyone who's listening, we have been talking about 
realities of microchurch community. And if you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know that we've been talking about just uh, what creates bonds in community, how we live truthfully, how we engage and deal with conflict, how we practice hospitality. You know, we've got other stuff we're going to be talking about, um, just even with dealing with kids and discipleship pathways, all sorts of things um, in future episodes. But in this one, we are talking about sharing leadership and just accountability. Um, I think for so many of us, it's hard because when we hear leadership, you know, we've been uh, products, a lot of us byproducts of a church culture that told us that everything rises and falls with leadership. And we've kind of heard a lot about that solo heroic leadership journey. And we've got a lot of old muscle memory that we're overcoming. So it's difficult when we step into a microchurch space, not to pivot just right back to that. And what does it look like to operate um, in a much more communal sense and a much more with a lot more mutuality than maybe what we've experienced in other ecclesial settings. So that's really what I want to just uh, Lucas pick your brain about and start there. When you think about yourself or any microchurch leaders that you help coach and train how do you try to frame out leadership when they think about it in a microchurch setting? Yeah. Yeah. We try to, you know, when, when, when someone becomes a microchurch leader and is greenlit as like a microchurch in the movement, there's not a whole lot of hoops that we force them to jump through on the front end um, before they become a microchurch leader. We, we think there's a, most sort of leadership training or dynamics is better done in service than pre-service. Um, but one of the very few things that we do do pre-service is have some conversations around like what is Christian leadership, the character ethos of Christian leadership, um, that the me- the medium of microchurch leadership is servanthood and the motive of microchurch leadership is love. And so we are servants motivated by love and the method or mode of leadership is communal. So it's servanthood. It's an act of servanthood. It's motivated by love and it's done in community and in mutually submitted community. Um, try to help people understand and never go alone. And even people that are in like phase one microchurch planting way at the very beginning, sort of like forming vision and clarifying that and taking some of their first steps. We always tell them like in the very early stages, you should be thinking about team, you know, like finding your team, you know, because God doesn't intend you to go alone and he equips those that he calls. So if you feel called to this, he's going to equip you not just with the things to go about the mission, but with a team because it's not good for you to go alone. So you should be looking around for who are the people that are, destined or called to go shoulder to shoulder with you in the doing of that work. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we sort of coach people with that frame from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, inevitably they get started and some people default, like you said, to ways that we've been wired around leadership, you know? Um, so then there's ongoing coaching and cultural formation around the underground that sort of like continues to form us to see leadership that way. Cause it takes a long time to disentangle from the ways we've been wired. Um, most of it's speed, like people, people want to go fast. And, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, you know, that sort of thing. So a lot of the times people default to solo leadership, not because they're hungry for power, but because they want to go fast and they don't know how to collaborate, you know, at a, at a different pace. But 
yeah, those would be some of the initial frames that we give people. No, that's so good. Well, and I can just even speak into my own experience, like, you know, coming from, you know, I, my story is cutting my teeth a lot in the attractional mega church. And I think when I started down this journey, I like theoretically, you know, seven, eight years ago when I began it, it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I, I'm there intellectually and I can't really do the other thing anymore. And then, but you step into it and you're like, collaboration is so painfully slow and it's so frustrating. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is why people do the other thing because totally. you can just get decisions. And if you want to be efficient and yeah, I love the the nature of speed, you totally yeah. want to do it. So yeah. I, would, I would also be fascinated. One of the other things I've experienced, I don't know if you've seen this is maybe not even that, but having the motivation of um, just accidentally maybe coming from a good place, but doing everything for everyone yeah. in the life of yes. community. Yes. I don't know if you've seen that, that failure as well. And maybe you could speak into that as well. No, totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it is like taking the shadow side of like the, the servanthood and love and interpreting that a certain way, you know, that, um, what it means for me to serve this community or to love this community is to go fast. You know, they, uh, you know, so we sort of default into a fast mode that doesn't allow for collaboration, but we feel like we're doing it from a good motivation. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's the same with, you know, um, what you were saying, just saying about like forming a team or forming a community and not wanting to burden them, you know? And so you, the, the point leader or the, you know, one of the early elders or something of that community just starts to shoulder everything because they don't want to burden anyone in the community. Um, and you know, you, 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 and again, intellectually, you know, this stuff, but essentially what you're doing is like in, in your head, you're saying, I don't want to burden these people. But on the other side of that coin is I'm creating consumers that this, this whole, this whole room, if I'm the only one contributing because I don't want to burden anybody, that means the rest of the room is consumers consuming the goods and services that I personally provide. And nobody would agree with like, is your strategy to disciple a bunch of consumers? Everybody would say, no, I definitely am not doing that, but that's the shadow side. It's the other side of that coin. Um, so you're, you're exactly right. We see that a lot, the, the shadow side of servanthood, you know, not inviting people in to have ownership. No, I like, yeah, I like that phrase, the shadow side of, um, servanthood. I haven't really thought of it that way, but I think that's a, a really, uh, eloquent way to put it so that, yeah, you can, help people understand like everything, uh, good gifts can go, can go bad. Um, mm-hmm. I know I've, you know, digested enough of, um, underground stuff that Ephesians four and APES plays a huge role in how you train, um, leaders and think about mutuality. And so I don't know, I mean, we, we talk about that some as well, but I would love for you just to maybe unpack it from an underground level. When you think about, um, a pest and how that manifests, um, in the life of community. Yeah. I mean, as soon as, as soon as you sort of have a framework that leadership is not to be done alone, you're supposed to do it in community with others. You start to, f- you, you, you start to run into like, okay, then how, who, and how do we do it together? What does it mean to do it together? Um, and some of the, f- the frameworks, biblical frameworks that are helpful in discerning that, like how do we go about being being team, polycentric, distributive leadership? Um, APEST is one of those helpful frames, you know, that um, 
you know, and it's it's helpful at the beginning of the text to to each has been given a portion of this grace. So everybody's get been given some portion of this grace, um, um, as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, for the purpose of you know equipping and training the body that it would mature in unity. Um, and so yeah, we we in microchurch formation we are sort of um particular with leaders that they don't have to have a fully functioning APES team to get started or else you'll, you'll, it kills movement. Um, and so we try to relieve people of that, like burden to like, uh, wait to start until they have this like fully functioning on all five cylinders team, but to know that, um, it's desired and not required. So it's not required to start, but you should always sort of be thinking about it and looking for it. And, you know, knowing that, that, uh, what it means for your microchurch to grow into maturity is to be hearing from and in submission to these five voices, you know, um, and looking, needing to have some awareness. Um, so that, that's typically where it starts is like, are you as a leader aware of your own sort of gifting, um, in APEST? Where you're, where you're, and everybody has a little bit of each of them, and just because you're weak in one doesn't mean you you siphon it off on everybody else. Because Jesus was the perfect uh, all five, and we're trying to become more like Jesus. And so, um, but realizing where you have been gifted in grace by the Lord to have involuntary strengths, like the way you operate without even thinking, it's like breathing. You know, it's just like your natural contribution without much strain. What is that contribution? Is it a shepherding contribution? The things that you're, when you're on a drive, you're thinking about are those apostolic thoughts or those prophetic thoughts when you're like in the shower, when you're like mindlessly thinking or contributing to things. What is that? That's going to be like um, people's, you know, primary mode. And so we're we're trying to help leaders be, become self aware of their own apest. That's part of the calling lab, which is even like pre leadership formation is helping people get aware of their apest. Um, and then also not just become aware of their own apest, but but help the community that they are serving and influencing have a, a, develop an awareness of the communal apest functions like where are we collectively strong and maybe have a bias where we collectively weak or have a gap in terms of APEST. So know it personally, learn to know it a little bit communally. Um, and then, uh, making room for permissible room for people to function in there to, to make contributions in line with their sort of involuntary gifting. Um, and you know, as people are sort of, hoping and dreaming and desiring to become increasingly mature in Christ as a community <clears throat> that as soon as you realize, gosh, we've got 17 prophets in the room and not a single shepherd or something like that. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you do about that? What does that mean? You shut the thing down or, or, or you go find a, a, a you go find like a shepherding microchurch to merge with or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. not, not necessarily. There's some things to do there. It's like awareness is helpful on the front end, but um, it's going from that to say, Lord, are there actually people in our midst that are that are shepherding that we haven't we haven't called into the room, like brought forth into the room? Be your full, become aware of how God has gifted you, and bring that to the table of our community. 
So it's sort of abundance mentality, like God might have might have already given us what we need and we just don't see it. So it's like looking around with abundance. If we don't have it, then it's asking the Lord of the harvest to send us what we need. And in the time that that you know you need it and you don't have it yet, it's still possible to try to be in in submission to that voice even when a person isn't bringing it. Mm-hmm. So it's like we it's a good word. Uh, that yeah, so that we're always trying to help microchurches understand like there's a lot of pathways here. There might be somebody in your midst that has that gifting that could bring it. If you don't, you can ask the Lord of the harvest and you can attune your eyes to people around you that you're really looking for that would fill that need in your community. And even if those two things don't happen, it doesn't mean that because you don't have a shepherd in the room that you can't become shepherding. You can actually learn like what is the voice of a shepherd that you don't – and there's not a person embodying that voice in the room, but you can still consult that voice in every conversation, in every gathering point, in every decision-making, in everything you're dreaming or designing or evaluating the past, future, present, past. Um, so it's more we've, – we've tried to help microchurches understand that these are like voices that contribute to your community formation. And in an ideal world, there's one or multiple people in the room that are like embodying those voices. But even mm-hmm. if they're not, you can still give room to the voice you yeah. know, together. Yeah. I love the level of like transcendence there because I do think so oftentimes we deny God agency and we are so ecclesiocentric and that how the way that we think. And it's, if I don't have the resources or the methods or um, the people, then we can't do it. And we yes. just like act as if God's not a living, moving, active totally. God. And yes. so I love that idea. Um, and then also, yeah, we've seen that in our own micro churches, people praying for, for certain people to end and, and still being surprised that God, God works and shows up. So mm-hmm. I have to say, I was chuckling though, as you answered that, the idea of 17 prophets being in a micro church, I'm out. I'm, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> though I would, maybe if you gave me some popcorn and just let me sit in the corner, I might, I might enjoy that uh, experience just to see what it's like. But um, now you, you use some really great words that we, we use, and I just want to highlight them. You talked about polycentric, this idea of many centers and not one center, like we typically think of, or distributive, um, being able to utilize all these different leadership gifts and practices, um, you know, uh, gifting in, in the life of community. Um, it sounds like, I mean, I have some other questions, but just a real practical one. Besides leaders, do you encourage micro churches to take these sorts of assessments together so that they have shared language and an understanding of each other's yeah. gifting? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we, we, you know, not all micro churches, but a lot of micro churches have this this understanding of like, um, you know, it's like centered set, not bounded set. So, so there, there, every micro church is sort of like. There's these levels of relationship in every microchurch. So there's like these people that sort of float around us and they're sort of riding with us, but not really. And then there's people who are like regulars. They're around they're around more than 50% of the time in the life of our community. But we wouldn't, but they haven't made commitments. Um they they haven't made their commitments explicit. And so we're trying to ha- have like loose expectations with them. And then there's people who are core, who are like, we're in, we're part of the family. But those people might not yet care or be included in like decision making or vision or dreaming or arc. It's 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 like de- we call them design agents of the life of the microchurch. And then there's like a team. So not every microchurch uses this language, but most of them have a team, a core, 
regulars and floaters, you know, that are sort yeah. of on the outskirts. And some of them are going to be like, hey, we want to have a high level of awareness of the APEST functionality of our community, just the team. Some of them are like team and core. Some of them are like team and core and regulars. Like we're going to have these conversations. We want people to be aware. So, yeah, it's definitely more than like, you know, the 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 sort of founding one or two leaders. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and at the same time, it's, it's not, it's not conversations that are happening like every week or they've like fallen, they've tipped over and fallen into like typologies. Um, it's usually like maybe at leadership summit once a year or like a microchurch retreat once a year. It's sort of this diagnostic, how are we doing? Like how, how do things feel? Where are we headed? What's the life of our community been like? Those are typically conversations where this stuff comes out. Because essentially, you're just trying. You have the community sort of diagnosing the state of things, past, present, future, and they're just feeling around at how how to describe their experience. And this APES stuff starts to give words to things that they're experiencing. Like, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. Like, that is why we, you know, are always starting new things all the time, but not really like anchoring them down and following through with them because we're we we we're making decisions with four apostolic people and nobody else is sort of at the table and, you know, um, yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And I want to plug for anybody that's listening from our community. We do, you, you know, you're using language of calling lab. We do something very similar, but we call them discernment dinners. And so we can do that, you know, with individuals, we do come to micro churches and do that as well. It's two dinners over a month where you get a chance to look at, your skills, your story, the spaces you inhabit and where the spirits at work. And we, yeah, we try to walk alongside you and anyone in your community that you think is, you know, uh, needing to go on that journey, uh, just like Lucas was describing. So if that's something you're interested in, you know, reach out to our network and tap our shoulder because we want to come alongside you. Um, beyond like the, like some of that, I would just be fascinated when you think about how a network uh, with how a microchurch structures itself what are the rhythms the everyday realities that allows you know this this level of mutuality to really take place um and feel healthy you know yeah. and and leadership what have you seen work best like yeah. you know what are what are um some of the best ways to practice leadership the way that we're describing it yeah yeah i i mean <clears throat> i think i think first corinthians 14 is really helpful like when you when you come together, each of you has a thing. Each of you has a hymn. Each of you has a word of instruction. Each of you has a revelation. Each of you has a tower interpretation. Each of you has a thing. And there's got to be some room for lots of people to contribute a thing, you know. So, um, it 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 sounds a little counterintuitive or it's either obvious or counterintuitive that but like one of the big things that gets in the way is that when you gather together there's like only there's only room for one person to contribute um mm. or the or or there's one person designing the contributions of others in that gathering and they design room for people to contribute in a specific way that's mm. actually according to how they're wired. And so it actually sort of like limits the releasing of the gifts in the life of the community for the maturation of the body, you know? Um, so now the, the, 
the has the the fear the the visceral and immediate fear when you hear something like that is but it's going to be chaotic it's going to be so out of control or whatever yeah. and it's like well yeah that's why paul had to write the other half of the new testament to address <laughs> when it gets out of control right it's yeah. like yeah you sort of have to let it get a little chaotic, and then suddenly you actually need the other half of the New Testament that we haven't needed for so long because we've kept kept stuff so under control. Like, how do you how do you how do you keep it ordered or whatever? Um, but um, so I'll just that's just briefly. And I, and again, there's so much we could get so much more like practical mm-hmm. and technical there exactly how that looks. But I just wanted to say briefly, like that's sort of the easy you know ten foot answer. Like when you gather, here's here's how this looks or whatever. I think the bigger problem, and you've already alluded to it in your very intentional language of how you structured this question, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. There's so many times when people are like, how does this actually look? It's so difficult. It's so complicated. And what they're asking is, how does APEST polycentric distributive leadership work itself out when you gather? And they're actually asking the question with an assumption that what church is, is it's a gathering once a week for a certain time. And they're trying to fit polycentric leadership into one meeting a week for two hours because that's what church is. And it's like that's – if that – you're sort of like – the behind the question is this assumption of – and what we call an event-based paradigm of church. And if you're walking in an event-based paradigm of church, APEST is never going to work. You're putting way too much pressure on two hours once a week for people to – walk in collaborative unity and oneness and release the gifts. It's like, that's impossible. So in order for it to actually live itself out, you have to abandon that paradigm and embrace what you've already alluded to, which is a, what we would call like a rhythm of life paradigm of church or a rule of life paradigm of church. And so every microchurch um, adopts a collectively embraces a rule of life that, um, you know, uh, sort of, it, it, it's almost like the church gathers multiple times during the week in multiple ways for multiple purposes with multiple populations. You know, it's like, um, there, you know, and part of that's like navigating. Sometimes we need to get together and do like confessional communal stuff. And sometimes we need to get together to go do mission stuff side by side. And sometimes we need to get together to do like kids and marriage stuff. And sometimes it's like, we have all these needs to get together. We can't cram all that into one dinner a week. And not everybody in this community needs to be present for all of those moments every time. It's a good word. So it's, it's, so it's like, well, so that's just a navigation of like, our community is being formed by the spirit into Christ likeness. And that requires like habits of connection in different places, different people for different purposes. Let's just make sense of that together for this season and just agree on a rhythm of connection. And then let's commit to that rhythm of life together once we've discerned it. So almost every microchurch has that. And suddenly you've got like our – so our our uh, our microchurch has – a rule of life that's called, I think the one right now is called five, four, three, two, one. So it's like five days a week in the scriptures, um, four hours per week engaged in common life of the community, like shoulder to shoulder with each other, three hours a week engaged in incarnational mission where you, to whom you're sent two times a week or two times a month that you're gathered in 
same gender groups for the sake of deep life confession and vulnerability and, and accountability once a month collectively joining together for a collective outreach even though we're all called to different places we found it important to have one time a week that mm -hmm. or one time a month that we're doing something together missionally so those are a bunch of different types of gatherings ways together for different pur purposes for different reasons and if somebody were to ask us hey can i come to your microchurch it would be unclear to us what they mean <laughs> be like you know what i'm saying it's like yeah, not yeah. it's like yeah which like for like which, which time for, for, yeah. what <laughs> for what reason <laughs> you know or, or if or if people say um uh if pe if people can't come to like Monday night dinner, which is all of us together and the people we're reaching for a discovery Bible study, if they can't come to that, they say, Oh, I missed microchurch. It's like, no, you didn't. You missed Monday night dinner. But there's like a whole lot of other microchurch stuff going on. And in the same way, if people commit to coming to one thing every single week and they're there all the time, but they're not actually committed to the rule of life, they can't say they're part of the microchurch. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Yep, yep. It totally changes from like event based to and as soon as you embrace like rule of life paradigm of microchurch, there's so much more room for this polycentric leadership stuff yep, to be yep. like different people are actually actually the main decision making agents over different like moments in the life of the community. Yep. And even the discernment of the of the like rhythm of life for the community itself is a place where everybody has to get involved and be like, who are we becoming? Mm. And that cannot be one person's that that sort of commitment to habits cannot be of one person's making you know it has to be all of us together at the table and deciding the things that we're deeply committed to and not as deeply committed to in the season and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense um and then there's so much more room for people to like cont contribute not even in a decision making level but just like free spontaneous offering of their gifts in conversational moments and ministry moments um so you know that's it again it's not quite as practical as like on a week, on a day by day basis yeah, no, to that's... find your meetings this way. But I just think like the 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 place where we see the most people getting stuck is trying to deploy this stuff within one meeting a week, and it's just like ah, it's so limited what you can do. That is so beautiful, and I think well, one, I think you just describing your own rhythm, I think it will be so helpful for folks to hear. And I know when we've been coaching microchurch, you know, folks like especially that have come from existing church paradigms, that is the biggest tripping point, you know, when they even think about, you know, uh, kind of mission community, you know, worship community mission, you know, we use community, community, uh, community commission, but they can't get past, like, I need a event for each of the, like, yes, those, you cram rather, it all yeah. in. Yeah. Yes. Or you, 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 you got one dinner. You got one dinner a week on Tuesday nights, and you're like, the first thirty minutes will be worship time. The second <laughs> yeah. thirty minutes will be community time. Yeah. You know, the yeah. next thirty, it's yeah. like, bro, it doesn't that work that way. Yeah. Well, my guess is too, as you describe that, and I, I think this has been my experience as well. I, I love the metaphor that Brian Sims gives in his book, Leading Together, about uh, jazz musicians. That jazz, mm -hmm. you don't learn with sheet music, you have to learn by just feeling each other out yeah. and you trip yep. over each other sometimes, but it gets, you know, the more you do it, it gets organic. I, I compare it also to sports. Like if you've ever played basketball with the same group of people, you stop actually looking where you're passing. You just yes. know that they're going to be there. 
And I've experienced that where it's really clunky at first and it feels uncomfortable, but the more that you do it and just give it a go, the more it just becomes like natural, like, and it's like an inception, you know, like I think yeah. almost what you're describing from a big picture level of our micro church community, all the way down to those, some of those rhythms where someone who hasn't maybe taken the mantle of leadership can speak up and everyone almost feels comfortable with letting yes. someone else kind of have means totally. of expression. So I, I don't know if, if you've experienced that as well, but it feels like that's the only way you can do it is just trying it. it that's exactly like, right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And we've heard it is, it is more art than math or scientific management. Um, it's art, it's jazz, it's sculpture. Um, I do think it's helpful. Like when you're, when you're just getting started and you just have, have never scratched the surface of this stuff. I do think it it can be helpful to like just have a couple tools that you're leaning on to get you into motion so that you can even get to the point where you can do art intuitive stuff, you know, like you got to sort of learn some fundamentals. And um I our Casey underground friends uh, they 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 have in seasons they've u- deployed like a tool in in meetings like if they have team meetings or design meetings decision making meetings or something like that so, sometimes i don't know if they do it all the time but i have heard them talk about it and it was intriguing to me um where they sort of have this team rule where it's like the 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 apostolic people talk last you know mm-hmm. and and they, they almost have like an order of who talks first it's like it's like shepherds talk first then evangelists and teachers then prophets and apostles or whatever and um it was just a way i you know i i would not say that that's like a great tool to use in every situation or for every community but i think for them essentially what they were trying to say is like it seems like the apostolic people can if they don't have like a governing rule they can sort of like suck up a meeting like soak Mm -hmm. soak up and they can take up all the room and they don't mean they don't even mean to you know, like they're just operating in their gifting and people feel so energized by them or whatever. And then there's other people in the room who feel, who sort of – it's not that they don't feel like they have room to say anything. It's just that they feel like everything's already been said and we agree. And it was just their way of being like, let's make a little bit more room for other other gifts to sort of chime in and speak up. And maybe the apostolic people can just like say what's not yet been said or say – or or clarify it or integrate it or summarize it or something like that. Um, now again, um, I think that there that probably worked really well for their team. And I think there's there there are ways in which we can inappropriately overlay on top of APEST um, things like extroversion, introversion, which isn't always true. Like sometimes you can think every evangelistic person is an extrovert. Nope, not true. Um, mm-hmm. Every um, every prophetic person is like uh, introvert eight on the Enneagram or something like that. Not true. So I think like each of those gifts actually has a broad spectrum. So, so something like that, those like team meeting things might not be great because they might carry in assumptions that aren't true of your team or aren't true of your community. But it, it's just an example of like a creative way that they were trying to deploy like an apest sort of polity in a specific moment in their community that made sense. And I think something like that is, is interesting for any team to explore. Like we're trying to find our way into intuitive art where we, I can pass the ball and you're not there yet, but you're going to be there in an, in a second half. But in order to get there, maybe we just got to put a few things in place to try to get us there, you know, 
that feel a little bit more logical or mathematic. Yep. But yep. you know, it's just going to help us get started. So yeah, yeah. When you think about it, like practice is like that in any you know using that sports metaphor. I mean, you anybody that's been on a basketball team, for instance, or played sports, it's clunky. It stinks. Yeah. It's a lot of just like, okay, let's run it again. Let's run it again. Let's run it again. And you, there is some structure. So then you can um, free flow when, when it's actually the time to do it. So yes. yeah, I think yeah. it's probably very similar. That's a good word. And again, plugging, we have some tools like that, that when we're getting folks off the ground, we kind of have like a canvas tool that allows some allows some frameworks so that oh that's great yeah folks can kind of get off the ground again that is uh something we've developed through a lot of air of probably uh not <laughs> not having that stuff experience yeah. <laughs> yeah and probably at times and i would actually say what's really interesting in this conversation is that i think every time people hear a lot of this i think they they're scared of domineering people taking over and it hasn't really been our experience i think yeah maybe the medium is the mess like people who want to be domineering this, they aren't attracted very often to these sorts of spaces, yeah. but we've probably aired on pivoting to flat leadership where everyone's scared to step up and step into their gifting. And then it's just like, you have this very milk toast community that we don't really know who we are and everyone's kind of tripping over themselves, apologizing for who God's gifted them to be. And it's just, no one's happy. It's anarchy kind of. And so I think uh, having some of those tools actually just allows uh, people to feel comfortable operating okay. within who they are and not. Yes. Because um, I probably, I mean, at least in a place, especially like Boston, I think there's such hyper awareness to leadership and to power and to the way we operate in communities that I think sometimes we can, we could probably fail the wrong way. And mm -hmm. You know, while we say oftentimes we've left institutionalism, that doesn't mean we're leaving structure and we yeah. need to be, we, we need to, yeah, put some um, guardrails up so that we can actually thrive and be who God's designed us to be. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, as we're wrapping this up, I'd love just if you, uh, two more questions really quickly. One, what has happened? Is it possible for people who have maybe gotten on this journey and find themselves failing to pivot? What does it look like in the life of, you know, Tampa? Like what happens if a, a microchurch finds itself in an unhealthy place? Do they just need to give it up uh, and start, start new things? Or have they been, you know, been able to kind of right the ship um, towards health? That'd be the first question. Yeah. yeah I mean, we've definitely seen um, people right the ship toward health. A lot of times they get unhealthy, not because, um, not because one leader tried to take over control or domineer, but because they had a team and a community of leaders and those people were called to start other things or to, mm -hmm. or to branch off. And, um, the, the single or couple leaders that are left just have not worked the muscles of like, you know, for, for a season of like bringing new people into, um, sort of, higher level design agent conversations of the microchurch. And so, and then they, they might, they might also feel a little bit of like, depending on how those departures happen, they feel a little bit of whiplash of like feeling um, abandoned or, or feeling betrayed or something like that, which 
um, you know, is a normal reaction that you just have to like let people work through depending on how that ending happened. And so that, that, that can cause like a lack of trust and then you've got a lack of trust and that's filtering down to your, you know, release, including more leaders in the life of the community. Cause you're like, I've been through this rodeo. They're going to leave me too. Um, but so there's, there's a lot of like normal, innocent reasons why they might stumble into an unhealthy situation. But, um, they, they, we've seen plenty of leaders pivot back toward, back toward health. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes back to, I think I mentioned earlier, it comes back to like becoming freshly aware of what's, what's here and what's not here in the community and who I am and who we are. And having a longing to have a full expression, you know, a desired not required. Like we're not bad because we don't have it, but we desire to have more. We desire to have all that, that God wants for us to have. We know he wants us to have all of himself. And so we're going to desire with him to have all the gifts firing in our community for the strength and maturity of the body. Let's look around. So no, become aware. Now let's look around in God's abundance. Who's with us that maybe we've been overlooking. Let's find those people that we're missing and they're sitting right here and let's empower them and get them, give them room and give them permission and give them, let them make mistakes and uh, give them space to contribute. Are they not here? Well, then let's ask the Lord for the harvest to send us the people that we need, and let's attune our eyes to the people around us that might be God's good gift to our community. And in the meantime, while we don't have that person, let's listen again to the voice, to the voice that God himself, by his spirit, can bring to us in every future vision conversation, every current analysis conversation, every learning from the past conversation. We can attune to the voices that are present. Um, and that's how they that's how they bend toward health. Um at the very least, they started tuning to the voice. We have we have again diagnostic sheets that that on an annual basis they might look through and and some of those diagnostic sheets are are helping them understand is your community biasing toward one of the fivefold heavily, mm-hmm. too heavily. So it's sort of symptomatic. It's like it's like can you identify areas of unhealth based on symptoms that you're experiencing? And then let's work backward. Where's that coming from? How do we? How do you get ahead of that? Correct that. Um, and yeah, they they either start listening to the voice or they find people. It's a lot of times that there's people in the community that are like ready to go. Yeah, you know, they just need. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's really beautiful. And I think I love what you're getting at. Yeah, I think um, that's been my own journey. I think, and for many people that have uh, dealt with a little bit of APEST stuff, is almost the awareness, the, you know, AQ, the, you know, apostolic Mm. quotient, the, you know, prophetic quote, whatever it is, just like you would IQ or EQ, being able to have awareness, um, understanding, uh, some of the symptoms of, of unhealth towards bending towards just towards one of those. And great. I mean, a great example, if anyone's listening, you know, I know, um, as an apostolic person, I love liminality. And if it's up to me, as soon as I get on the other side of one liminal thing and feel, you know, t- catch my breath, I want to throw the community back into more Back liminality. into another one. Yeah. yeah. Let's and get that's... more disrupted up in here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is what I do. So, uh-huh. I, you know, I have to remind myself, like, I need maybe for the next six or eight months, just let the shepherds in our community just win all the time yeah. um, and that we slow down and we don't do anything that I I deeply want us to do. Um, because everyone else is just now catching up and doesn't want to be thrown, you know? So I think those are the sorts of things that everyone hopefully can start to 
you know, um, not just look around, but look, look internally and realize, um, and have some more awareness. So I think that's a great word, hopefully helpful for some of those listening. Last question, uh, just any other advice that you'd offer folks in micro churches that are on this journey, maybe that we haven't already mentioned. I know there's lots of other things we could have gotten into, but, um, just encouragement that you would say, Hey, um, as you think about this journey, um, here's what I think you should think of. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe it's a counterintuitive word. I, I do think, like, it's similar to what you were saying earlier. I think there's, um, I think the bias of the age is actually more so for team leadership. Like, I think that's what people are hungry for. And they're just trying to figure out how. But I think people are, because of the mass examples, publicized examples of failed leadership, toxic leadership, abusive leadership. Um, I think the hunger of most Christian leaders right now is collaborative team, mutually submitted, polycentric, distributed leadership. That's the hunger for the age, and most people are asking how. And because of that, like you said, I actually think the the more common error right now is not uh, power-hungry, control-hungry, fast-paced leaders that don't want to share. I think it's – I think the – the more common error right now is single leaders that are in a like a startup planting mode that don't have a team yet and they they're refusing to run because mm. they don't have a team yet and it causes it actually slows um movemental christianity because People are called by God, commissioned, ordained, sent, commissioned, and and they are going to move toward collaborative leadership in the going, in the doing, but they're so afraid to just be – because there's a phase in every plant. I'm telling you, every microchurch plant, it, whatever – or even organizational startup, mm-hmm. anything that starts, it typically starts with one person, and that person has like a vision, a dream. And they go around sharing it with people, and eventually you got two people on the team, but you got to get started. And I think there are so many people who have, like, so many, especially young, millennial, and younger, iGen, Gen Z, that actually have like a leadership mandate on their life. And they've confused um, team leadership, collaborative leadership into an abdication of responsibility. Mm, that's a good word. And I think like the the harder thing in our time is like leaders that actually need to 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 call the shots out of love especially in the early days to form the team. I mean the best the best polycentric teams that I've ever seen are functioning that way because the there's one person with the most spiritual authority in the room and they said we're doing it like this. So is that polycentric leadership or is that a hierarchy? You know, it's like a little bit of yeah. a coin toss, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is polycentric leadership, but it didn't emerge in a vacuum. It emerged because somebody actually had calling and a spiritual authority and they said, we're doing it this way. And I just think there's there's actually like leaders that have gravitas, that have spiritual authority, that have been destined, and they're waiting for polycentric leadership to emerge in a vacuum because because they're afraid of leadership. They don't want to be abusive and toxic leaders. And what that's producing is actually an abdication of responsibility. They typically have a team around them that are so ready to lead. And all it takes is that person with spiritual authority to say, we're doing it like this, you know, with a team. And 
you know, I, I, I think the downside of our generation is that there is like this massive, like you said, or it can become, it can become fear. It can become abdication of responsibility and it's motivated by the best things in the world, but yep. it can hurt, you know, it can, it can hurt. Like, like sometimes what it means to love and serve people is what they need is somebody to call the shots and they're desperate for it. Yep. And and sometimes what it means to love and serve people is to influence, like actually influence and give a word of admonishment or call people toward a future. And it's not abusive or toxic. It's just sort of like that's what they're desperate for, and they need a servant, loving person that's called to do it, to deliver it. And uh, so, you know, it's like a little bit of a counterintuitive thing. It's like we desperately need polycentric leadership, but we also need like full-on – fully like given the gifts of the father, spiritually authoritative leaders that are like hungry for it and moving toward it and operating their gifts without fear, you know? Mm. Yeah. I think that's such an incredible word to end on. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I, again, I think so many people resonate hearing that because I think that has been our journey here in Boston. And I know many of our leaders have, you know, tried to have probably swung the pendulum too far and then have, tried to find, you know, refine that balance. Yeah. And it's it has been a journey. And I think many, I think you gave language to probably what a lot of them have felt like, oh, this all sounded great until um nobody's doing anything. And we need, we need uh need some help. We need, we need to release and allow totally. people um to to be themselves. And yeah. thankfully I think uh probably out of that overreaction is that um we aren't serving we aren't serving just the structures and we aren't making yes. decisions just for those That's on right. the top. But That's right. as long as we're not doing that, I think we can, we can feel comfortable. That's right. You know, being who God has called us to be. I mean, that's, that's the, the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're trying to entrust the leadership of the church back into the hands of Jesus. That's what, that's what all this stuff is about. That's what APES is about. It's what priests of all believers is about. It's like, it's not about, like you just said, it's not about the structure. It's not about like getting it just right. It's like handing back the leadership of the church back into the hands of Jesus. And um, I think sometimes, like you're saying, sometimes when we get into these like people who are really trying to pursue communal and flat leadership, they are sometimes you it's evaluating symptoms, right? It's like the symptoms are, I feel like something needs to happen or a decision needs to be made, or I have a contribution I want to make or a thing I want to say, or a vision I want to present or, a, or, or something we should do or something like that. And that thing can't come out of you because it's passing through the filters of guessing what the culture would think about it or guessing what the critics would say about it. If you put that yeah. out there or how yeah. you'd be seen. And suddenly when all your contributions are being passed through those filters, Jesus isn't leading the church anymore. All those filters are the, the, you know, it's what Steve Cuss would call the giants on our shoulders. Like all these potential critiques or things people might think or other people in the room that we sort of have to pass through internally until we just offer the gifts of the spirit that have been, have been put on us. And it's like, well, suddenly those things are now the leaders of the church. And we'd say like a highly anxious climate that produces, you know, a flat abdication of responsibility that, that doesn't have leaders um, that are well differentiated. Essentially what that does is it makes a vacuum of leadership that will always be filled by the least mature voices, right? And so essentially what that is is us filling the vacuum of leadership with the our imaginations of, yeah. of the least mature people in the world. <laughs> 
So yeah, man, I just think it's like, let's let Jesus be the leader of the church, man. If he's leading you to like say that thing or have that dream or to offer that piece of you or to offer that word or to contribute to the community that way, do it, you know, do it uh, because Jesus is the leader of the church and be open to mutual submission in the room because Jesus is the leader of everybody else in the room. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for joining us, giving us this time. I know just listening to describe um, helping lead the 501c3 side of a network, plus uh, just all the communal rhythms that you live into. Um, just the fact that you carved out time for us is so, so special and remarkable. So thank you. Uh, and yes, you did bestow a lot of wisdom upon us. So this has been great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we got to talk about Central Illinois. So just so lots good. of things that checked I was not planning. Checked, checked all, all the boxes. We checked all the boxes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, if you're listening to this, you can, uh, for any of our resources, dive onto our website, wearerenaissance.org, uh, or email us at hub at wearerenaissance.org for access to our toolbox. And uh, until next time. Uh, we hope you continue to serve God where you live, work, study, and play. Thanks. <laughs>